Welcome to the Mindful Life Podcast. Join me, your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator, as I navigate living my best life with the intention to educate and raise the collective consciousness around the benefits of living a mindful life. Each week via the Mindful Life Podcast, I will bring to you a range of content, including special guests that explore mindfulness, mindset, and mental health. Are you feeling tired or are you under stress? Are you overloaded or just generally feeling overwhelmed? Well, I'm really excited to share a very special stress reduction tool that I've been using and recommending to my clients for a number of years. Calm is the number one app for meditation, relaxation and sleep. With over 21 million downloads and achieving the Apple App of the Year in 2017, Calm is so perfectly aligned with all that I do as a mental health professional and all that I teach here at the Mindful Life Podcast. It is the perfect stress relief strategy and the perfect mindfulness tool. The app has so many fantastic and easy to use features, including Daily Calm, a brand new 10 minute meditation every day, 100 plus guided meditations covering anxiety, focus, gratitude, and so much more. 80 plus sleep stories to settle the mind and relax the body. Exclusive music tracks for focus, relaxation, and sleep. Calm Masterclass featuring world-renowned mindfulness experts. My personal favorites include sleep stories, and I've recently discovered Calm Music, which I have on a continuous loop at my practice, in counseling sessions, and in classes. I also love the Calm Masterclass videos, which cover some fantastic topics, including gratitude, happiness, and mindful eating. And not to mention all the great features the app now offers for kids, including sleep stories, meditations, and lullabies. I'm so very excited to be partnering with Calm to bring you, my listeners, some amazing offers. Calm is so generously offering the Mindful Life podcast listeners a free four-week subscription to the Calm Premium app. All you need to do is head to the following link, calm.com forward slash calm health trial. That's calm.com forward slash calm health trial and just follow the prompts to enjoy your free four-week trial of calm premium you'll be feeling calm relaxed and at peace in no time the mindful life podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded We recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and thanks for joining me for episode number 40 of the Mindful Life podcast. In today's episode, I talk about anxiety. Anxiety is the single most common mental health disorder in Australia, with one in three people experiencing anxiety at some point in their life. It's also the most common presentation I see in my work, both with adults and with children. Left untreated, it can be a debilitating condition, permeating all facets of daily life. 
But management of anxiety is possible and management begins with acceptance, the development of awareness and insight, along with getting support, reducing stress and implementing lifestyle changes. Today I'll be talking about anxiety. Anxiety is a really interesting one and I've got a lot to say about it. So this is going to be a pretty long episode. Uh, It's something that I personally live with and thankfully I have a good understanding of my anxiety and this helps me to manage it. If you want to hear more about my journey with mental illness, you can check out episode 28 where I talk about my experience of living with PMDD which is a debilitating mental health condition that for me is characterized by severe anxiety. And also episode 20, which details my experience of living through Black Saturday uh, and how this affected my mental health. So I'm not sure whether people realize just how common anxiety is. According to Beyond Blue, in this country, Australia, one in three people will have anxiety at some point in their life. That's one in two, for women and one in four for men. It's the single most common mental health condition and one that I treat daily in my work with clients. I'd actually say that clients with anxiety make up roughly 70 to 80% of my client work. So why do people get anxiety and why is it so common? I think there's a number of reasons that people develop anxiety. There could be a genetic component. If there's a family history of anxiety, This predisposes or puts you at risk of developing anxiety. Sometimes people who are perfectionists or a particular personality type may also be at risk of developing anxiety. Or there could be a trauma history or the individual may be living under a a real threat, a present threat, such as in a family violence situation or war or similar. Or the individual could have a chemical or hormonal imbalance that results in them developing anxiety symptoms. The most common factor in the development of anxiety in my experience is lifestyle. And that really just equates to stress, whether that be a life transition, work issues, financial issues, interpersonal relationship issues, or just general stress, having too much on your plate, so to speak, where the balance or the equilibrium has been lost. So anxiety presents itself in many ways and today I'll talk about what the experience of anxiety looks and feels like and what happens in our bodies and our minds when we are anxious. I think it can be really helpful to have an understanding of what's going on inside us when we are anxious. So anxiety affects the body and it affects the mind. Anxiety is essentially often about the future, and by that I mean we are often anxious or worried about things that may never happen. Worry is a big part of anxiety for many people, and I actually recorded an episode on worry as well, episode 13. That was all about worry and the idea that worry is negative imagining and time traveling. So you might want to check that one out if you are a worrier or if worry is a big part of your anxiety. So let's begin by talking about the mind and anxiety. If we can look at the idea of a thought affecting how we feel. Now I know that's a pretty simple concept. Even the kids I work with get this notion. So let's run with that. When we are anxious, our mind speeds up, our thoughts race, and we often engage in unhelpful ways of thinking. These may be catastrophizing thoughts, paranoid thoughts, 
future predicting thoughts or just general negative self-talk. And as I've said, worry. When we engage in this style of thinking, let's just call it anxious thinking or anxious thoughts, our mood may be negatively impacted and we will most likely begin to feel it in our body as well. And I'll talk, talk more about anxiety and the body a little later. So there you have it. A thought creates a feeling. Just like a positive thought creates a positive feeling, a negative or an anxious thought will create a negative feeling. This is the power of our mind, our thinking mind. And anyone who has ever had anxiety, me included, will tell you their mind is often a mess. Lots and lots of thoughts going round and round. Anxiety sends our thinking mind into overdrive. And the difficulty is that when you're in it, that is when you're highly anxious, those thoughts, or as I often like to say, the lies anxiety tells us, are very loud, super duper loud and believable. And often they are on replay. These thoughts feed and fuel our anxiety symptoms. And when we are anxious, we have more of these thoughts, which of course makes us more anxious. It's a cycle. There might be situations that people are living in, real situations that feed the anxious loop of thoughts as well. For example, you may have issues at work, perhaps with a colleague, or you may be worried about your job security. And this may create anxious thoughts. Um, there could be negative self-talk or thoughts of self-blame that feed your anxiety. When we are constantly engaging in anxious thinking, we trick our system into thinking that we are under threat. We then produce higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which feeds and fuels our anxiety. And I'll talk more about cortisol a little later and the impacts of cortisol. Obviously, when we're engaging in anxious thinking, we are not practicing mindfulness. Often, as I've said, our anxiety is future-oriented. Many of our anxious thoughts are dysfunctional, and we can learn to challenge these, to reality test them. I'll talk more about how we can do this and how the practice of mindfulness can help anxiety sufferers when I discuss treatment options a little later on. And for those who struggle with anxious thinking, I also recorded an episode on dysfunctional thinking styles that drive depression and anxiety. So to hear more about this, check out episode eight, Thoughts and Thinking Errors. So it actually took me many years to learn how to manage my anxious thoughts. They can still creep up on me. It really is an ongoing battle. So anxiety for many people also presents itself in the body as well. It's particularly cruel. Um, it's a particularly cruel mental health condition and it's often accompanied by physical symptoms such as a tight chest, racing heart, belly issues and even headaches. And this can be really awful for kids who often report having a sore tummy. I have a number of clients who have presented to the ED uh, with physical symptoms that were part of their anxiety. For example, I have a client who's presented uh, to hospital with suspected heart issues when it was anxiety. So why does anxiety do this? I'll try and explain this really simply. There's actually a science behind it, but let's just keep it simple. Basically, anxiety is fear. It's almost always about fear. And when we are fearful, our system responds by trying to protect us. And as I said earlier, remember, a thought creates a feeling. So when we're fearful or anxious, our central nervous system thinks there is a threat. 
So we go into fight or flight. And I'm sure many people have heard that term before. For many anxiety sufferers, this may not be a full-blown fight or flight. It may just be a heightened feeling. Now let's talk a little more about fear. We do need fear in our world. There are times when we need to protect ourselves and fear is important for our survival. However, we actually live in a very safe society, particularly here in Australia and particularly in this day and age. If we think back to cavemen times, fear was very important. It was vital for protection and for survival. But of course, there are no saber-toothed tigers today. The threats to human life that existed back then simply do not exist now. Now, this is where I like to present two different but kind of similar scenarios uh, when I provide this psychoeducation to clients. And even kids can understand this comparison. So let's just say that a gunman came into the room right here, right now, while I'm recording this podcast episode. Crazy, I know, but just bear with me. Is this a real threat or is this an imagined threat? So a gunman coming in right now. It's actually real and I am under threat. There is a gunman right here, right now in this room. I need to do everything I can to survive. So I'll naturally respond in one of four different ways. Flight. I might run. Get the hell out of here. Try and run away from the gunman. Fight. I might try and wrestle him to the ground. Unlikely, but you never know. I may get a surge of adrenaline and decide to fight him. Freeze. I might be very still and hope he won't hurt me. Or appease. I might try and plead and negotiate with him. Now, when I'm using this comparison with kids, I use a dinosaur as a threat. I don't talk to kids about gunmen. So to prepare us for action and to face the threat, of the gunman, our system is flooded with chemicals to get our butts moving. When we are under threat, like this, like the example I just gave, we produce high levels of adrenaline and cortisol and glucose is injected into the bloodstream to get us moving, to get us running for our life. Now again, of course, this is all needed because I'm under threat. These chemicals will help me survive. Okay, so let's put that scenario aside and let me present a different scenario. After lunch today, I'm going to go for a walk and I'm really worried there may be a gunman out of my walking route. Why am I worried? Hmm. Well, let's just say I saw a shooting a few weeks ago on the news and I've been thinking about it ever since. I've been really worried that I might come across a gunman in my travels. I'm fearful and I'm anxious. So is this fear real or is it imagined? It is, of course, imagined. I'm worrying, worrying about something that may never happen, but my mind is trying to convince me otherwise. But my central nervous system does not understand that this is an imagined fear. This fear is unlikely to happen. But my fearful thoughts, my anxious thoughts, or the lies anxiety is telling me are sending messages to the hypothalamus which is responsible for producing the chemicals cortisol and adrenaline. These are the chemicals that we need for fight or flight. This is the response I talked about earlier. So there you have it. Our system really does not understand the difference between the real threat, the gunman that comes into the room, and the imagined threat, the fear I have of a gunman appearing. The response is the same whether we are being exposed to the real threat 
or the imagined threat, our system will respond by sending us into survival mode, resulting in feelings of anxiety. People who live in a state of high anxiety can constantly be living in fight or flight. And I do see this sometimes in my work, uh, often with women living in a family violence situation. And sadly, sometimes I see this uh, with kids who are living with a parent who is a perpetrator of family violence. So as we can see, when we are anxious, our system is under threat. As I've just said, when we feel anxious, our system thinks there is a threat. When we are under threat, we will naturally produce chemicals to help us manage the threat. This, of course, is needed, but only if there is a real threat. Anxiety is usually driving imagined fears. Imagined threats or fears that may never happen. So this imagined threat, as I've said, produces chemicals, adrenaline and cortisol. So let's just talk a little more about cortisol and how this can affect our system. So we all produce cortisol. And as I've already outlined, cortisol is a stress hormone, but we do need to produce a little bit of it uh, to get us moving. But people who are highly stressed or at worst anxious produce higher levels of cortisol. And high levels of cortisol will bring on some or even all of the physical symptoms I described earlier. Now, anxiety is a really sneaky thing um, as it does like to trick us into thinking that these symptoms are serious um, and that there's something really wrong. Hence why people present sometimes to the ED. So I like to describe this as the lies anxiety likes to tell us. Yes, anxiety is a liar. And this is a term that I use quite often with my clients. Now, as I've said, we do need cortisol in our life. Uh, it wakes us up in the morning, it gets us moving. But high levels are not helpful to our system. High levels of cortisol affect our ability to get quality sleep. And yes, guess what? If you don't get enough sleep or quality sleep, then you produce even more cortisol. So then you are stuck in a bit of a cycle. You can't sleep as your cortisol is high. And then because you aren't getting enough sleep, you produce more of the nasty stuff. This is food for your anxiety. And incidentally, if you want to learn more about the importance of sleep, check out episode 17, where I explore why sleep is so important to our mental health and our well-being. So as we can see, high levels of cortisol is fuel for our anxiety. As I explained in my sleep episode, continued high levels of cortisol also affect our health. This can lead to illness and disease. So cortisol or continued high levels of cortisol will fuel anxiety. And of course, when we are anxious, we will produce more cortisol. Later, when I talk about treatment, I'll explore how we can try and remedy this. So of course, anxiety is sounding pretty awful. And yes, it most definitely can be. Um, I live with it. So I have um, experienced the effects of anxiety. So it's particularly awful if it's left unmanaged. It can most certainly impact your life and your relationships. So how do we learn to manage it? And yes, management is possible. First and foremost, reducing stress is vital. Look at your lifestyle. Is it balanced? Can you make some changes to reduce your stress levels? Moving your system out of fight or flight is vital to recovery. Reducing your cortisol can only be achieved by literally slowing down and engaging in targeted self-care strategies that aim to reduce your stress levels. 
Commit to simply doing less and slowing down. We are also overcommitted these days. It's like we revel in the status of busyness. So for more info on this, um, check out episode 32, Doing Versus Being, where I explore the value of slowing down and doing less to improve mental health and well-being. Engaging in calming, relaxing activities that lower your cortisol, such as meditation, yoga, or simply stretching, reading, having a bath, walking, uh, using essential oils, massage, and resting your body. Simple breathing strategies will reduce your cortisol. Yes, that old chestnut deep breathing actually works, but it's got to be done consistently. And on the subject of meditation and breathing, there's lots of apps that can assist with this. You can check out the Calm app. Um, I have an ad at the start of any of my podcast episodes uh, where there's a link that you can access to take advantage um, of a special offer of four weeks free of the Calm app. Exercise and other physical activities can also help. When we exercise, we produce high levels of the happy chemical serotonin. But do beware, if your cortisol is very high or you are constantly in fight or flight, high intensity exercise may not be helpful. It may actually increase your anxiety. So if you're highly anxious, it may be best to initially stick to gentle, calming physical activity. But of course, everyone is different. Sometimes it can be trial and error. Engage in activities that bring you joy and pleasure. Be with people who bring you joy, people who support you. Educate yourself. There's lots of podcast episodes um, and books that will assist you to reduce your stress and manage your anxiety symptoms. Getting enough sleep is also vital. I've already mentioned this, but quality sleep and enough sleep will improve anxiety symptoms. Talk it out. If you're anxious, talk to someone supportive about it. Sometimes if we say it out loud, if we voice and vent those anxious thoughts, our worries and our fears, it can help to reduce them. And it might also assist you to realize that it's actually anxiety talking. If you do want to access professional support, there is help available. You're not alone. As the stats tell us, I mentioned earlier, anxiety is very common. You may want to start with your GP, then get a referral for counselling with a mental health professional, such as someone like myself. There's also telephone counselling support lines if you don't feel comfortable with face-to-face support. Getting support can be vital for management. Um, A mental health worker will do a lot of what I've set out to do in this podcast episode. They will educate, provide support and strategies, and they'll teach you how to manage your anxious thoughts. This is possible. I like to teach my clients, even the kids I work with, that anxiety is a liar. I encourage them to test their unhelpful or anxious thoughts for evidence. Almost like being a detective. Is the anxious thought rational? Is it logical? Is it true? Is it really likely to happen? Has it happened before? And then taking that further, if the fear or anxiety does happen, what is the worst that will happen and how will you manage this? This is what we call cognitive behavioral therapy. This teaches us to challenge unhelpful thoughts. I'm really just encouraging you to question, is this anxiety talking? And this is where our mindfulness practice can come in as well. As I've already stated, anxiety is often future oriented. 
we can ask ourselves, are we living in the now or is our mind and our thoughts living in the future or even the past? It's about awareness and pulling ourselves back into the now. I teach my clients to be the gatekeeper. This is a phenomena that they are really familiar with. As I've said many times in many podcast episodes, we are not our mind and we are not our thoughts. We can be the observer of our thoughts. I've had many clients successfully develop the skill of being the observer of their anxious thoughts, stating to themselves, I'm doing it again. I'm having anxious thoughts. I had one client who would regularly present to the ED with all sorts of physical symptoms um, where she was convinced that she was suffering from cancer or a tumour, but she eventually developed enough insight and awareness to be able to identify that it was her mind creating thoughts and sensations. She's now the observer and is able to challenge her anxious anxious thoughts and not buy into them. So we can practice mindfulness and let our anxious thoughts come acknowledge them, but then not buy into them, not create a story that will feed our anxiety and result in us getting caught in a loop. If we have specific anxieties, and that's not something that I've really covered today, um, it's really important to face these fears. And that is, of course, if you want to overcome them or at the very least learn to manage them. So say, for example, um, an eight-year-old child is fearful of sleeping in their own bed. So this is a really common presentation that I see. Before bed, we can encourage the child to engage in calming strategies to assist reductions in cortisol and breathing exercises in bed along with a meditation app. We can also encourage the child to test the anxious thoughts for evidence. We also want the child to face the fear. And really, this is a whole other podcast episode, avoidance versus facing fear or anxiety. And I think that's a great idea for another podcast. So I'll just put that into the the filing cabinet. And um, yeah, I think that's a good future podcast episode. But let's just touch briefly on this. The child in this example has two choices, sleep in their own bed, which is facing the fear, or sleep in mum and dad's bed, which is avoidance or running away from the anxiety or the fear. So the bottom line here, and what I'm trying to get across briefly, is that the only way to overcome fear or anxiety is to embrace it and to face it. In this example, if parents give in and allow the child to sleep in their bed, this is not assisting the child to overcome the anxiety. Yes, running away from or avoiding the anxiety can ease the anxiety in the short term, but it doesn't help in the long run. In therapy, we refer to this as exposure and desensitization. So you often hear in the sporting world or in life in general, feel the fear and do it anyway. Moving outside your comfort zone can be anxiety provoking, but as cliche as it sounds, this is where growth happens. And that's how we learn to manage or overcome being in charge of our anxiety and our fears. If I reflect on the last 12 months, I did loads of things in my work world that scared the crap out of me. Things like public speaking and even podcasting in particular initially scared the crap out of me. But over time, I began to challenge the often irrational fears and thoughts that came with uh, my anxieties around public speaking and podcasting. I sat with the discomfort. Um, I did and continue to do it anyway, 
And the more episodes I record and the more public speaking I do, the less anxiety-provoking it became. So really the bottom line is to be in control of your anxiety, to overcome it, to learn how to manage it. We have to learn to face it, to accept it, to challenge it, and to work through it. Above all else, we have to remember that anxiety is a liar and the thoughts that anxiety drives and creates are often lies. Anxiety will try and convince us to worry and to engage in unhelpful thoughts, which will of course feed the anxiety. As always, awareness is key. If we can educate ourselves, if we know and understand all that I've just outlined, then this can help us to challenge anxiety when it comes to visit. So thanks for stopping by to listen to today's episode on anxiety. It was quite a long one today. Uh, I think that's because anxiety is very complex. It affects the mind, it affects the body, and it can be really misunderstood and really scary, which of course can then create more anxiety. Please know that management is possible and that there is help out there. If you have learned something today or found it helpful, please feel free to share this episode. You never know, it just might help or even enlighten someone else. And if you are listening via a podcast that allows you to leave a review, please consider leaving a few kind, encouraging words and hitting those stars. And until next time, may you have peace in your thoughts and your hearts and share it with others. If for any reason you have found the content of today's podcast triggering or distressing in any way, please consider accessing some professional support. Australian mental health telephone support numbers are listed in the show notes. You've been listening to the Mindful Life podcast with your host, Marianne Eve, mental health social worker and mindfulness educator. If you'd like further information or you'd like to connect, feel free to make contact via Facebook or Instagram under the handle Mindful Life Podcast or via email mindfullifepodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.